0: All right, grab your Bible this morning and open it to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We are in a great series just talking about trusting God and do we trust God and asking ourselves that question this year. And um, we want to kind of end this time together talking about trusting God with some stories of trust. There's lots of great stories in God's word that are true stories, they're real stories, and they help you and I understand how to trust God in our life today, just like that person trusted God in their life back then. And um, because humanity hasn't changed a whole lot, we can learn a lot from what Jesus is saying in the scriptures to us. But let me start, with um, a small story. Recently, a, a lady was telling me about a moment that she had when she went to get a massage in Spokane. And she went to get a massage in Spokane and the massagist was doing whatever they do. Um, I don't go to massages, by the way, just so you know. Um, so that's not my thing. So I'm assuming they take care of your body there. there. Maybe I need one, because I feel kind of stiff this morning. Um, But she was doing her massage, and she's got a little tattoo of two little feet down by her ankle. And they are the feet of her premature child that the doctor said wasn't sure if she was going to make it. The good news is Libby is 13 now, and she's a great teenager. but she has that tattoo and got that tattoo back when Libby, 13 years ago, back when Libby was just a preemie. And so she was doing the, mas- the massagist was doing the massage and um, said to her, I, I'm sorry, I don't normally do this when I, I'm giving a massage to someone, I normally just don't talk very much, but I've got to ask, well, can, you, can you tell me a little bit about the little footprints on your ankle? And she said, sure, I'd love to tell you about them. And the lady said, is it it from a premature child that you had, and did the child pass away, what happened? And she got to say, no, my child didn't pass away. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and I rallied the church to pray for my little Libby, and she lived, and she's still alive today and she's my, living, my, my little miracle, and uh, it was a moment that was really tough for me and really challenging for me, but I have this tattoo to remind me that Jesus carried me through that moment. He literally walked with me and carried me through one of the toughest moments of my life. And the scowl said the massages just began to, to tear up because she had just recently lost her child And she had had a couple miscarriages along the way. And so they began to talk and they kept talking and she continued to encourage her and Jesus and just said, hey, what, where are you at in life? What are you doing? And she said, well, to be honest, I, I was following Jesus in a fairly strong way. But when my child died and my miscarriages happened, I just, I guess I just felt like God wasn't taking care of me, and, left, and so I just, I just walked away from Jesus, and I walked away from the church, and, I, and I'm not really sure what my next step is, and what I'm supposed to do now. And so she said, because she was in Spokane, and she lives in Cheney, and she wasn't quite sure how to do that, she said, well, I don't know how this would work, but would you, would you maybe like to come to church with me sometime? And the gal said, well... That'd probably be really hard for me, but I feel a connection with you, and I think maybe I could go to church with you. Where's your church? And she said, well, I don't live in Spokane. I live in Cheney. I I go to Cheney Faith Center. And the lady said, really? I live a block away from Cheney Faith Center. This morning, that's exactly what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about moments in our lives where God wants to use us specifically to touch someone with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the life of Jesus, with the person of Jesus, with our savior, with our Lord, with our best friend. And in scripture, we have a very, to me, it's one of the coolest stories in scripture. I love the story in Acts chapter eight about Philip and the Ethiopian and there's so many things for us to learn about the gospel how the gospel works and how the gospel is transferred from one person to another and so I want to share this story with you I want us to to um, see some points in it this morning and and I want to ask ourselves to continue to ask ourselves this question do I trust God but more importantly do I trust God to use me to tell somebody about Jesus? And so I want, I want us to jump in because we see a great story of God doing something pretty big in Acts chapter eight. So let's pray and then we'll jump into the word together. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the stories that we see in these people's lives in the first century in the book of Acts, their life is just like our life. They're trying to live for Jesus in their day. We're trying to live for Jesus in our day. They're noticing people that don't know Jesus and trying to figure out how to share him with others, and so are we. So Jesus, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what the scripture is saying today and to how you want to use us, Holy Spirit. We give you thanks and praise. Help us to leave changed this morning and ready to... Touch our world with Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Well, let's stop there, and we know that one of the things whenever we read scripture, or whenever you read a good book, or anything for that matter, you look at a quote Anytime, one of the most important things about that is the context, right? You gotta know the context. What was happening before? What's happening after? What's happening in the middle of this section? Why are there seeming to be like this? This sounds like a continuation of another story right off the bat, doesn't it? And that's because it is. Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7 are about the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was a great man of God who was proclaiming Jesus Christ all throughout Jerusalem in a very courageous and powerful way. And Saul, a main character in the book of Acts, who was a devout Pharisee, not a Jesus follower. Uh, was a teacher of the law, and he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And because he was so firm in his conviction, he began to arrest Christians, and he wanted to kill Christians. Well, in chapter seven, he got his wish. He got to stone Stephen, along with a large crowd of people. they They took Stephen to the edge of the city, and they stoned him. Well, right in that moment, Saul realized, man, I've got a lot of momentum So why don't we just go right back into Jerusalem with this crowd and this momentum and start rounding up all the Christians since we know that they're living house to house. We know where they live. Let's just go right to their house. Let's start arresting them. So that's what happens. It says right off on that day, a great persecution broke out. Now we don't have real numbers. We remember on the day of Pentecost that 3,000 people got saved and people were being added to Um, The church every single day, people were getting saved every single day. The apostles were doing all kinds of miracles in the city of Jerusalem. So in the city of Jerusalem, there was a bit of a revival happening, and there was lots of people getting saved, lots of people getting healed in the name of Jesus, and persecution breaks out. Now, if you know anything about church history, you'll know this, that anytime there's a revival, there's always persecution added to it. But here's what's great. It never stops the revival, ever. Never stops it. In fact, most of the time, it propels it in an even greater speed and in a greater way because people notice that we are willing to die and live for Jesus, and we don't care even if you kill us because Jesus is our Savior. So the, apo- the apostles, they stay in Jerusalem, but it says all except the apostles, they, they're, they're gonna get scattered all throughout Judea, and Samaria. Now, I want to show you something that's very important as well to the context of this chapter and of this verse in particular. Verse 1 says, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Can you turn to your neighbor on your right and say Judea and Samaria? Go ahead. Now, I mentioned already context is very important. Context is very important to scripture, so let's let's add some more context to this verse. Luke is the writer of the book of Acts, the same Luke that wrote the gospel of Luke. But Luke was writing to one of his friends named Theophilus. He wrote the gospel of Luke to Theophilus to tell Theophilus all about Jesus, all about his his birth, his ministry, and his death and resurrection, and his and his ascension back to heaven. That's what the book of Luke is about, to to share with his friend Theophilus about Jesus Christ. His second letter is the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is to tell Theophilus about um, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our lives and upon the, the first people and the apostles, the growth of the church, and a man named Saul that becomes Paul that begins to write letters to all of the church, all the churches that become two-thirds of the rest of the New Testament books. So that's what the context of this is. Now, if we're gonna really look at the context, we gotta go back to chapter one. And in chapter chapter one, verse eight, we have a very famous verse that most of us know that gives us context. this verse that we're reading today and tells us about why the story in Acts chapter 8 is happening and what God is doing. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, these are the very last words of Jesus. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the context. Jesus gave a command. My command is this, that you go out outside of the city of Jerusalem and you begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, link the law and the prophets to the fulfillment of Jesus Christ the Messiah and begin to tell the world about Jesus. Do not stay in Jerusalem go out into the world, go to Judea, go to Samaria, and take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. That's what they were supposed to do. But guess what? That's not what they were doing. That's not what they were doing. Verse four says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now God just did something different. God did something totally different. The people that were in Jerusalem and had received the gospel and were now experiencing the outpouring of the Spirit, they were just kind of huddling down in Jerusalem. They weren't sending people out to Judea and Samaria yet. And we can't get too mad at them or or bash them too much because we have to ask ourselves the same question How well are we doing? (laughs) How well are we sharing the gospel in Cheney and the West Plains and Spokane County and the state of Washington and to the ends of the earth? It's our job too. It's our command as well. But something interesting happens while they are scattered. They begin to preach about Jesus wherever they go. Now, you could almost say that God did this on purpose, That because they weren't fulfilling the thing that God wanted them to do, that he kind of kicked them out of the nest. Anybody, any of you ever have a 20-year-old that you just kind of had to say, hey, time to go. That's what God's doing here. Saying, hey, family, church, it's time to go. It's time to get busy doing what I asked you to do. So um, since you won't do it on your own, I'm going to give you a little nudge. You're not going to like the way the nudge comes, but you're going to like me. Now, here's what's interesting. I want us to notice something. I want us to notice the attitude of these believers in Jesus. They've been kicked out of their generational home for believing in Jesus. And the first thing that they start to do is share about Jesus. Let me ask a question. How many of you live in a generational home? It was the home of your parents or your grandparents? Yeah, okay, one, good. Those homes can be very special, can't they? there's There's a feeling in that home that it's like, this is my foundation. These are my roots. These are my people, right? This is my home. There's a connection to parents and grandparents and legacy that has been left to you when you live in a generational home. Now these homes in Jerusalem, these are generational homes. They are passed down to to son after son after son. They are homes that people have been living in for hundreds of years. This is the generational home. There's lots of legacy and memory and purpose and value in this home. And they've just been removed from it. There would have been deep pain and deep hurt there. But the first thing they do is start to talk about Jesus. The one that, because they knew him, they were just removed from their generational home. And why would they do this? I believe it's because Jesus is their hope. He is their life. He is their everything. They've come to realize that the presence of Jesus in their life is their new home. That their earthly home doesn't mean anything anymore because now they have an eternal home in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And he is their everything now. He is their first love. See, the Holy Spirit was at work here. He begins to spread the believers throughout Judea and Samaria. They begin to share the good news of Jesus with their neighbors. And I think the same thing happens today. I think the Holy Spirit spreads us around our city so we can share Jesus with our city. Did you notice, or have you noticed, you might have noticed that um, Cheney Faith Center doesn't own a street or road in Cheney where we ask all of you to live? Cheney Community Church doesn't have a road. The Nazarene Church doesn't have a road. We don't have specific streets where we say, this is Christian Row, and we're just gonna all live in Christian Row. We're all gonna have lots of fun here and be brothers and sisters together. It's gonna be so euphoric. It'll be awesome. We don't do that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wants to spread us around the city. He wants us living on every city, every block, by every park, by every spot, so that you and I are going into different stores and different parks and hanging out on different blocks, and you and I get to share the love and the salvation and the grace of Jesus with people all around our city. I think the Holy Spirit spreads us around our city and around the West Plains on purpose. And he has us all work in different spots and in different places so that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our co-workers. Now in our story in Acts chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is getting ready to do something really big in the life of Philip. So let's continue the story and look at what God's going to do. In verse 4, it says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with streaks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So here we see another glimpse into the life of Philip. We can see that Philip um, has chosen in his life to be a very powerful believer, to believe in his identity in Christ, to be willing to share the gospel with others, but also willing to pray huge, big prayers for people. He's praying for people to get healed and they're getting healed. He's praying for demons to leave people's lives and they're leaving them in the name of Jesus. And I want you to know this can still happen today because the name of Jesus is powerful and because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so these things can still happen today. But I wanted to point out that Philip, he's like a man on fire. He, he's... He's following Jesus in a very powerful way. We see that in this moment. And as we skip down in the story to verse 26, we see that Philip gets an assignment, a special assignment from the Lord because he's on mission for Jesus. So look at it with me, jump down to verse 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, let me, let me stop here and point something out. Have you noticed in the Bible that whenever an angel comes to visit someone, something big is about to happen? Something really big is always about to happen. An angel came and visited Joshua right before Jericho was defeated. An angel came and visited Abraham so that he would have a son and it would start the lineage of the family of Jesus Christ. Mary was visited by an angel. Joseph was visited by an angel before the birth of Jesus because there are moments in people's life where God wants to do something so miraculous and so amazing that you and I might not figure it out on our own. (laughs) Like we just might not do it on our own So, God sends a special messenger to us to say, Hey, this is what I need you to do. It's kind of like a two by four hitting you upside the head. Like, God says, I really need you to understand that this is a, a very, very important thing that I'm asking you to do. And I need you to do it. And so, God sends a messenger to Philip to do this, an angel. The angel, this is the angel's message go south to the road the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. We'll talk about this in a moment, but it's not very specific. It's pretty general, not many specific details, and it's pretty vague. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury of the kendake, which means queen Of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Can somebody say, beam me up, Scotty? And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Wow, that's a pretty cool moment in the life of Philip. It shows us that really cool things can happen when we trust God. See, when Philip trusted God, he was able to be used in a very cool moment in history. Now, the first thing that happens is the story of the angel visiting Philip. And we kind of talked about that. It brought about this idea that God was gonna do something big. He was gonna do something really, really big. And what the Holy Spirit is getting ready to do is he's getting ready to take the gospel to the ends of the earth say, well, Pastor Mark, hold on a second. Ethiopia is not the ends of the earth. You're right, it's not. But guess what? The Jewish people thought that Ethiopia was the end of the earth. The Ethiopians would would sometimes come to Jerusalem and visit because somehow and in some way the Ethiopians had come to believe in God. And so the Jewish people kind of thought that this place called Ethiopia was the end of the earth, But here's what else is interesting. The Holy Spirit, he's not going to work alone. And God often does this. He doesn't work alone. He uses you and me. So the Holy Spirit's going to use Philip to talk to the Ethiopian. So Philip's interaction with this Ethiopian reminds us that God wants all people to be saved. God wants all people to be saved. In fact, in 1 Timothy 2, 3 to 4, He said, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now this Ethiopian eunuch, he's an interesting guy. He's from a foreign place. He's from a foreign people. But he's worshiping God in Jerusalem. He's made a pilgrimage. He's left his land. It's probably taken him months and months to get to Jerusalem because he's probably ridden a camel or he's walked, but here's what's interesting. He's in Jerusalem worshiping, but what he doesn't know is he's actually in Jerusalem to meet Philip. So Philip can introduce him to Jesus. There's a divine moment happening here. Just like there are divine moments happening when you go to work or when you go play in a park, or when you pull weeds in your front yard and somebody stops by and you get to talk to them about Jesus. Those are divine moments when somebody gets an opportunity to talk about Jesus with us. Now here's what else is interesting. This man has a scroll of Isaiah, which tells us that he obviously has a, a, an affirmation and a, he, he feels like the Old Testament, the laws and the prophets are very important to him. So he's been studying scripture. He's reading it as he goes. He wants to know more information about it. And that's where Philip comes in. Philip has gone to this road to meet this Ethiopian because there's no concept in his heart or in his mind of him before. There's no concept in his heart and his mind that he should go to Ethiopia and share with the Ethiopians. So God makes an intersection so that that can happen. See, the Jewish culture wasn't concerned about the Ethiopians. The New Testament believers weren't concerned about the Ethiopians. But God was. God cared. And God knew that they needed Jesus as their Savior. So God sends Philip down this road to meet him. How about you? Do you want all people to be saved? Well, let's be honest. Do you want all people to be saved or do you want some people to be saved? Are there some people groups that you think, ah, they're not worthy of salvation? Are there some neighbors that you have that you think, ah, I don't don't want that neighbor to be in heaven? I mean, he lets his dog poop on my lawn now. Well, I don't want him poop on my lawn in heaven. I don't want that neighbor there. Do you pick and choose who you think should get Jesus and who shouldn't? If there are a people group that hates America, do you say, yeah, they're out? God doesn't. That's not his heart. His heart is for all people. And if we're going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, then we have to have a heart like God. Because there are different ethnicities all around the world and God loves them and he wants each of those ethnicities to have an opportunity to believe in Jesus as their Savior. There's also a lot of ethnicity right here in the United States. Even right here in Cheney, there's lots of ethnicities right up at Eastern. If you're an Eastern student, that means you get to intersect with those ethnicities all throughout your week. And God might be asking you to go to one of them to talk to them about Jesus. Now, Philip, he gets to go down this road, meet this Ethiopian, have a divine moment with God. He gets to share Jesus, but here's what's interesting. Philip shares Jesus with this very influential person among the Ethiopians. The word gives us a little snippet about this Ethiopian, and all it says is this. He's a very important official in charge of, of the treasury of the kandake. Now, in the United States, we also have a similar understanding of this. Because in the United States, what is the most important thing to us? Our money. may say, Pastor Mark, I don't know if that's true. I can guarantee you it is. The next time the stock market goes down, watch people hit the fan. Watch it hit the fan when we start losing money because that's what we care about. That's what's important to us. That's what we want. So that makes the person that's in charge of our money really important, right? For instance, do you want the person that you do your banking at, whether that's at a credit union or a bank, to be a thief? Probably not. You want that person to be an important person. And so here is this Ethiopian eunuch It says he's an important official and he's in charge of all of the money, all of the treasury of the Kandake, which means he has great influence in the nation of Ethiopia. Now, does it seem like an accident that God would take the person who has great influence in an entire nation and lead them to Jesus so that then they can influence an entire nation for Jesus? That's what God's doing here. God sends Philip to this Ethiopian eunuch who has incredible influence in his nation to share Jesus with his nation so that his nation can be saved. And church history tells us that's exactly what happened. Philip shares Jesus with this Ethiopian, and he goes home and uses his influence to tell everybody in the nation of Ethiopia, hey, we've been reading the Old Testament about creator God. What you need to know is he sent his son Jesus as Messiah and we all need to believe in him. And the entire nation of Ethiopia changes. You say, Pastor Mark, how do we know this? Well, church history and archeology. span Let me show you. Still in Ethiopia today, there are churches all over the country like this one. Here's a giant church built, cut right into the rock, hewn out of the rock in the shape of a giant cross. There's there's tons of them. Here's another one with paintings all over of Mary and the 12 disciples on the ceiling and Jesus and crosses and all kinds of things. These churches are all over, crosses on the walls and These are all places cut right out of the rock where people went and worshiped Jesus for thousands of years. And they still worship Jesus in Ethiopia. In fact, the Ethiopians believe that they are the first nation, the first nation on the planet for the entire nation to become a Christian nation. And guess what? They're right. This Ethiopian takes Jesus back to his country and the entire country changes to believe in Jesus Christ. The entire nation. So this is the oldest people group of, of or oldest nation, not the oldest people group, but the oldest nation that, where the, the, the entire people group say yes to Jesus and begin to serve Jesus. And all of this happens... Because Philip trusted God. Now, here's what I want to ask you Do you trust that God wants to use you to tell someone about Jesus? Do you believe that God wants to change someone else's future? Maybe their entire family? Do you believe Jesus wants to change a legacy in your neighbor or friend or a coworker? Maybe a family member? See, trusting God means trusting his plan. And he wants to use you and me to tell people about Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit, he wants to do the same thing today, but he's waiting for one thing. He's waiting for you and me. He's waiting for us. See, the Holy Spirit has divine moments in store for each of us as well. Now, he won't do it the same way that he did with Philip and the Ethiopian, But if we're open to being used, the Holy Spirit can and will use us to share Jesus. But that means that you and I will have to make ourselves available and we'll have to posture ourselves in a way every single day in order to be used of the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor Mark, how do I do that? Well, let me give you three quick ways as we close that you you and I can do that. First of all, say yes to the Holy Spirit. Every single day, say yes to the Holy Spirit. The lady that I shared the story about, she was just going to a massage. She was just going to a massage. She didn't know in that moment that she would say yes to the Holy Spirit, and it would lead to a great conversation about Jesus, and hopefully in the future, it may lead to that woman being in our church, saved and following Christ. But she was willing, she was available. And when something started to happen and the Holy Spirit began to move and the Holy Spirit began to talk to her, she just said yes. Yes, Lord, I'd love to share you with this person. Now in our story, that's exactly what happens. The angel tells Philip, go south to the desert road. So he says yes. He just goes to the desert road. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do. He doesn't know who he's supposed to meet. He just knows he's supposed to go. So the first step is always just going, saying yes to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit might tell you, hey, I want you to change professions. I want you to go work somewhere different. I want you to go live somewhere different. I want you to sell your house and go buy a house on another block because I have other people that need to know about Jesus. Whenever the Holy Spirit tells us to do something, we just have to say yes. Then as as Philip just goes, he's got no other direction, no specific direction. He just goes to the road. But then verse 29 says, the Spirit says to him, go to that chariot and stay near it. So it's not until Philip obeys the angel's general direction that the Holy Spirit gives him specific direction. And that's often how God works. You and I answer the call in general ways. We just continue to be faithful and faithful over and over again. And then occasionally the Holy Spirit says something specific to us. Go south to that road. Hang out by that chariot. I need you to share Jesus with that friend. Hey, go go hang out by that coworker today. They're really hurting, and they need you to serve them today. Whatever the Holy Spirit asks. So say yes to the Holy Spirit. Second, be ready to explain who Jesus is. Be ready to explain who Jesus is. Verse 30 through 35 tells us that Philip runs up to the chariot. He hears the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he says, Do you understand what you are reading? And now Philip, Philip just jumps in. He just knows Okay, the Holy Spirit has put me in this spot for a reason. This guy's reading Isaiah the prophet, and he's obviously reading a section about Jesus Christ. I wonder if he understands what he's reading. I'll help him out. And so he does. He jumps in the chariot. He helps him out. And he explains Jesus to this man. And the man gets saved. And then he goes home and changes an entire nation. So my question to you this morning is, can you explain who Jesus is to someone? Do you know how to explain who Jesus is? If somebody asks you, hey, could you, could you come over here and sit with me and tell me who Jesus is and what he's about? Can you do that? Do you know how to share the good news about Jesus with someone else? Church, we need to know how to do this. This needs to be a discipline of ours that every single one of us can do. Now, You may say, well, Pastor Mark, you know, I think that that's really for the evangelists in our church. You know, those people that are are evangelists, they're they're the ones that should be doing that and and I'll do something else. I don't don't fully agree. Let me tell you why. If I grabbed any of you after church and I asked you this question, in five minutes, could you share with me uh, who your best friend is and what they're like? Could you do that? If I asked you, could you tell me in five minutes who your spouse is, what they like and what they enjoy, and what you enjoy and like about them? Could you do that? You absolutely could, couldn't you? You absolutely could tell me who your best friend is or who your spouse is in five minutes, what they like, what they enjoy, and what you like and enjoy about them. That's it. That's all it is. Can I tell you about Jesus? who he is, what he's done for me, and what I like about him. It's that simple. And so if you can share about your friend and you can share about your spouse, then you can obviously share about Jesus. And the closer you get to Jesus and the more you know his word and the more you memorize scripture, the easier it'll be to share about your best friend, Jesus. The third thing is this. Help the person with their next step help them with their next step. Now, the Ethiopian had a next step, right? He wanted to get water baptized. So Philip said, sure, here's some water. Let's dunk you. And so Philip does. He baptizes him. And then Philip, unbeknownst to him, right in that moment, the Holy Spirit just beams him out. That's one of the things I think that is really cool about the story. Like, uh, I think that'd be the awesomest ever, right? Like, if you watch Star Trek, then you know what I'm talking about? How you can just get beamed from one place to another or, or a spaceship to a planet, and you're like, wow, that's really cool. That's, that's gotta be the coolest device in the world. Like, God did that. Like, I'm thinking, somebody who wrote Star Trek read this verse and said, we gotta figure out how to put that in the Starship Enterprise. Because Captain Kirk is gonna need to be beamed somewhere. The Ethiopian's next step was water baptism. But every person's next step will be different. So when you share Jesus with someone, their next step will be different than the Ethiopian. The story I shared about the lady uh, in our church, her next step with with the friend that gave her a massage is to bring her to church. That's the next step. She went and and she's gonna help her get to church because that's her next step. For someone else, their next step might be you just simply asking, would would you like to believe in Jesus today? I'd love to pray with you a prayer of salvation if you'd like to believe in Jesus right now. And they may say yes. And you just pray a prayer of salvation with them. They may say no. And you say, great. Would you like to have another conversation about Jesus? And they may say, yeah. I'd love for you to buy me another cup of coffee and talk to me more about jesus and you say great pull out your phone what are you doing next thursday at 4 30 and they'll say nothing and you say great i'll meet you at west plains roasters and we'll talk some more about jesus next thursday at 4:30." great conversation see you later see you next week whatever the next step is help them take the next step if their next step is coming to church call them on saturday night and say hey Would you like to come to church with me tomorrow? And they'll say yes. And you'll say, great, I'll meet you at Cheney Face Center at 8.30. And they'll say, 8.30? What? Who would go to church at 8.30? None of you, because you're the smart people. You say, oh, well they have a 1030 service too. Would you rather go to the 1030 service? Absolutely, I'd rather go to the 1030 service. Okay, great, let's go to church, and then after church we'll come back to my house, we'll watch the Seahawks lose, we'll, we'll eat some food, and we'll talk about the service, and maybe we'll open the word together a little bit, and we'll talk about Jesus, great. So help people take next steps, right? That doesn't have to be me, that's you. You know how to talk about Jesus, you know how to share Jesus. So take them on the next step, all right? Whatever that next step is, help them take that next step. Making disciples is like taking care of a baby. You know, you don't get to leave your baby at the hospital. Isn't he cute? <laughs> but didn't they made you take him home? Like She didn't just, no, now the doctor's going to take care of him. Did you know if you say, Pastor Mark will do that for you, that's what you're asking. You're saying, oh, isn't the doctor going to take my baby home now? No, you, you did that. You take the next step with them. You become the one that feeds that baby and closes that, clothe that baby and take care of that baby try to figure out how to make that baby stop crying at times or just be there and hold them and be with them and care for them when they're crying. That's what it means to make a disciple and you and I have to do that and do that well. Would you stand with me? I want to close this morning. We've been asking this question. Do I trust God? So do you. If we say we trust God, then we have to say, I trust his plan. I trust his plan. Now what we've been talking about this morning is the plan of salvation for the world. This is the plan of salvation for the world, for you and I to get outside of ourselves and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone else, near us or far away. Let me tell you why this is so important. Because there's no plan B. Did you hear me? There's no plan B. There's literally no other plan. God doesn't even have a plan B. If we fail, it fails. If we fail to share Jesus with other people, then it fails. That's why we can't fail. There's no plan B. The only plan B is when the world gets so horrible, Jesus comes back. That's not a good plan, but it is plan B. That's it. So you and I have to take the gospel to the people around us. Now, the great part is when you and I live out plan B, Acts 1.8 says, the Holy Spirit will empower us just like he did with Philip. When you and I say yes to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't say, okay, you're on your own. No, he empowered Philip all along the way through the entire conversation with the Ethiopian, through the baptism, and then he empowers him to just get beamed to Azatos. This is all the work of the Holy Spirit just coming through Philip, and he wants to do the same with you. He wants to work through you. So these are the things we need to do: say yes to the Holy Spirit. Be ready to explain Jesus to others and help people with their next step. Could we pray for that together? Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for what you want to do in and through us as believers. Now, I know that if we wake up tomorrow morning and we say, I'm... I'm gonna do what Pastor Mark asks me to do, what God's word is telling me to do, what the Holy Spirit is empowering me to do, then there are going to be opportunities for us to share. And so I pray that you would help each of us to say yes to you, Holy Spirit. That we would walk through that door and we would talk to that coworker or that family member or that person in the park or that neighbor over the fence. Whatever it might be, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to say yes to you. Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to be able to explain you to others. And that if we don't know how to explain you to others, that we would read your word. We'd start reading the book of John and we'd read through it quickly and we'd say, oh, that's who Jesus is. I could talk about him. That we would also be able to share our own story of salvation with others. That we would be able to tell somebody who Jesus is and explain what this really good friend is like. But he's also my Savior. He's also the creator of the world. He also died for you. Lord, help us to be people that can do that. And Lord, help us to help people take their next step. Help us to know what their next step should be or ask what their next step should be and and then come alongside them and be that for them. Make a disciple with them. We give you thanks and praise for what you're about to do this week because I know that you're gonna open some doors for each of us this week. And I pray you would just use us mightily. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We all said, amen. Well, thanks for being here this morning. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.